The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Vital, life-changing subject of circumcision. You know, I just can't tell you how long I've been looking forward to Genesis chapter 17 and the rite of circumcision. You know, I don't usually tell jokes, but you know, this just warrants telling a joke. So there was these three guys, a, a Japanese samurai, an Arabian sword guy, and this Jewish guy. And they uh, were applying for a job uh, for this um, Japanese whatever, uh, what's the sword guy's called in Japan? I forgot now. Anyway, wanted to try a job for their, uh, to be a bodyguard by their great sword skill. So uh, the guys come in the room and the guy interviewing them says, okay, what can you do? So the Japanese guy gets out his sword and there's a fly buzzing around the room and he switches his sword super fast and the fly just drops and uh, splits in half and falls to the ground. So the guy goes, that's, that's pretty good. So then uh, he asks the Arab guy with his big sword to come forward and he comes forward and Another fly comes flying through the room, and choo choo whack whack choo choo, few few quick whirls of the blade, and this time the fly is cut into four pieces, and falls in four perfect pieces to the ground. So you go, that's that's impressive. So he looks at the Jew. He says, "Okay, what are you gonna what are you gonna do to top that?" So he pulls out his sword, goes chasing this fly across the room, waving his sword frantically. Sits down after a while, breathing heavily, while the fly buzzes around his head. He goes there. He goes, well, what? You know, this, the fly is still there. He goes, yeah, but he's circumcised. <laughs> right, this is why I don't actually tell jokes because it's, not, it's dangerous. Uh, in Genesis chapter 17, God, uh, for the third time, really restates his promise to Abraham. And as part of that, and really the centerpiece, and structurally, we won't go through all this, but structurally, if you were to break down how the chapter lays out in the Hebrew, the center of it really is this rite of circumcision, and it's a key part of it. But the passage is really much more about God's covenant relationship with Abraham. And it's a little confusing because God keeps doing this over and over again. In chapter 12, God came to Abraham, called him to leave the land of his fathers and move to a new place that he would show him. And he promised to give Abraham uh, land and many descendants and to bless him. And so Abraham, in faith, steps out. And technically, oftentimes, Genesis 12 is called an Abrahamic covenant. But technically, it's not really a covenant. In fact, the word in in Genesis 12 is never used. The word covenant is actually never used in Genesis 12. And it really is more just God inviting Abraham to uh, step out and test the waters and see if God is good to his word, good to his promises. And God makes very clear promises to Abraham to bless him. But there's really not a covenant agreement. Uh, Then we fast forward to chapter 15. A number of years have passed by, and in chapter 15, Abraham is starting to doubt God's promise, and he's a little uncertain, and uh, he still doesn't have land. He has no children. He's uh, now uh, 70-plus probably 80, perhaps over 80 years old, still no children. And so his faith is beginning to waver a bit. 
And God senses that and God comes again. And He again restates His promise to Abraham. But technically, it's not really a covenant agreement either. And at the end of chapter 15, God does enter a covenant right with Abraham, but it's specifically related to the giving of the land. And if you remember, Abraham says, how do I know you're going to give me the land? And they go through this formal kind of agreement process where God agrees, kind of guarantees or confirms that he is going to give the land. And it is... It is in Middle Eastern terms, it is a contract, it is a pledge that God's going to be good to his word to give them the land. But still not technically, in, in, uh, in either Middle Eastern or in biblical terms, a full uh, covenant between God and Abraham. And so we don't get that until chapter 17. And in chapter 17, God now uh, really spells out a full covenant uh, with, with Abraham. And in this chapter, the, the term covenant is used repeatedly, I think 12 times in the chapter. And it really is about God creating or making this formal covenant agreement with Abraham. Now, of course, uh, in many respects, the day Abraham left his fathers and moved to Canaan, he stepped into this covenant relationship. But now, after 24 years, and the, the chapter starts out when Abraham was 99 years old, God appeared to him and he said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Uh, walk before me and live blameless so that I may enter into this covenant with you. I may give to you this covenant relationship. So I don't know what took so long, and we'll talk about that later. But, uh, but now God wants to sign the deal, so to speak. And the reality is that uh, the picture of chapter 17 focuses not so much on the promise, although he restates the promise again to give land and give descendants, but really the focus of chapter 17 shifts from what God is going to do in terms of giving and blessing Abraham to the actual relationship itself. All right? And if I, you know, an illustration for, for this, and, and really all relationships have a covenant. Okay? When you enter into any kind of a relationship with someone, there is an agreement about what that relationship will look like. Now, the, the dangerous thing is that most of the time our covenants with people are unspoken, right? And there are certain cultural things, uh, like every culture has a covenant, an agreement about the, the correct amount of space between you and somebody else, right? And, uh, you know, there are people from different cultures where the stated amount of safe space is different. So if you go to a different culture and you're used to this much space, and they're in a culture where they're used to this much space, it kind of weirds you out, right? Because they're just right there, too close. Um, in Western culture, we can hug and we can, we can give a good hug to somebody, but a guy does not put their hand right here on another guy's leg. First time that happened to me in Thailand, it just freaked me out. Because in Thailand, it's okay. I didn't know that, okay? So those are part of covenant uh, expectations that are in every relationship. And we, we formally do that in uh, all kinds of things. We have formal rental agreements. And a rental agreement is, is not so much about you renting somebody's house. If that were, if that were all, to it, all there was to it, you wouldn't need an agreement. You just move into their house, you give them money. But the rental agreement explains the relationship. Okay? So if the light bulb breaks, who fixes it? If the roof caves in, who fixes it? Uh, it spells out the kind of relationship between you, you and this other party. Uh, the best example of this really is the, is the marriage vows. Uh, when you get married, it is, in the end, it's, this sounds not very romantic, but 
A wedding is, in the end, it's a signing of a covenant. It's a contract between you and this other person. And so you stand up and you state your vows. You say what you are committing to do for your part of the relationship, to love and to cherish, to honor, till death do us part, right? Uh, it spells out the relationship. Uh, and that's why, you know, the guys want to put in there things like to love and honor you, you know, for his wife. You'll love and honor, you'll do the dishes, you know, you'll clean the house, you'll cook my meal. And the wife wants to put in there things like, you know, you'll pick up your socks, you'll serve me like a queen every day of my life, you'll worship and adore me, right? Well, you know, that's what we mean when we say love and honor, right? We all know that's what's implied, right? Uh, we know what we mean by that. Well, uh, it may seem silly, but relationships run this way. And there are, there are sides, two sides to it in the way it works. And even with God, uh, all relationships with God are entered into ultimately through a covenant relationship, through an agreement uh, on God's side and on our side. Uh, it's true in the Old Testament. It's true in the New Testament. And it's significant that here, uh, God specifically says in verse uh, 2, he says, I will make, or I'm sorry, verse 1, he says, uh, I am El Shaddai, which means God Almighty, walk, walk in my presence, walk before my face, literally. Uh, some translations don't really capture that very well, but the idea is to walk before God's face, to live before God's face. And it's interesting that in terms of contract, God uses that image. Uh, he says, walk before my face. When you think about a face, think about how much of our relationship with other people has to do with the face, right? We don't want to relate a lot to a person's elbow, right? We may relate to their shoulder if we work beside them shoulder to shoulder, right? But there's a lot about relationship that's in the face. You make eye contact. You engage a person with eye-to-eye -eye contact. You hear what they are speaking with your ears. You respond and communicate with your mouth. So living before God, living in His presence is a picture of of, of relationship before God. And so that's what God is spelling out here in chapter 17. That's what this chapter is largely about. Uh, what is God entering into? What is he agreeing to in his relationship on his side? And what does he expect from Abraham on his side? Well, uh, you know, we can look at this and you think about the Jews and Israel. This is really the formal signing of the dotted line at the beginning of the nation of Israel and all that it meant for the Israelites to be God's chosen people really begins formally in, in Genesis chapter 17. And you know, we can look at this and say, you know, we're not Jews. Uh, Paul makes it very clear we're not under the Old Testament. Uh, Paul went to great lengths to argue against circumcision, that, that uh, you don't come to Jesus through the doorway of Judaism. And that's what that was all about. We don't have to become Jews first to become followers of Jesus. That uh, God has really nullified the covenant with Abraham. So why don't we want to study it if it's been stamped obsolete and really doesn't apply to us anymore? Good question to ask before we jump into it. Um, well, the point is this, that I believe that what God starts in covenant here really, as we'll see, traces back to Genesis chapter 1. And there are principles and truths about what God's covenant relationship with us that's true through every people group and through all of history. Okay, so there are some things that are truly unique and specific to Israel, but largely what God is, is entering into in covenant here with Abraham is true of what he enters into with us as well. 
Uh, Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 4. He says, Circumcision was a sign that Abraham already had faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous even before he was circumcised. So Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith but have not been circumcised. They are counted as righteous because of their faith. And Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised. But only if they have the same kind of faith of Abraham before he was circumcised. We are, we are truly, uh, and Jesus taught this, Paul taught this, we are to be children of Abraham. All right? What God did in the Old Testament with Abraham is not distinctly different from what God did in the New Testament through Jesus. Okay, we are building on the foundation of, of Abraham and the law and the prophets. And what, God, what Jesus did was to fulfill, in many ways, the covenant with Abraham and to write a new covenant that didn't uh, completely dissolve the old covenant but built on it. Okay, so we are to be the true children of Abraham. And Paul says that in several places, and Jesus also mentioned that. So it really does apply to us, okay? And uh, we'll try to sort out what was specifically Old Testament and how it, it fits our life as well. Uh, so let's read, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but let's read the first uh, six verses. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully, or literally walk before my face, walk in my presence, and live a blameless life so that I can make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abraham fell face down on the ground. Then God said to him, This is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham. For you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations, and kings will be among them. Uh, to start off, let's back up just a little bit and talk about God's mission for mankind. Okay, why did God create us? What was God's original design and intended purpose for humanity? Uh, is God changing that, or is He really trying to go back to what He had originally intended? for humanity from the beginning. Well, it's interesting. When we go back to Genesis chapter 1, when God created Adam and Eve, what was his call to them? He said to Adam and Eve, I want you to, what? Be fruitful and multiply, right? Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Okay, that was God's original mandate and mission for humanity, to be fruitful and multiply. Uh, Adam and Eve tried, and they actually did have lots of descendants, um, however, it did not end well because it ended right before the flood. And they did fill the earth. The earth was full of people, but they were wicked people, right? And God had to send judgment, and he destroyed all of creation, every living thing, right before Noah. Uh, he saves Noah, and uh, we know that story. Noah gets off the boat in Genesis chapter 9, and God says to Noah and his sons, what does he say to them? Be fruitful and multiply, right? Same exact thing. Uh, God's going back. He's, he's recreating. He's starting over. Uh, Noah was a great picture of his, his judgment, but also his recreating, remaking the world, remaking mankind. And he goes back to that original mission. Uh, my, my purpose and plan for mankind is that you would be fruitful and multiply. 
How did that go? Well, they did fill the earth. However, you come to Abraham, and is there anybody following God? Well, apparently not many, right? And uh, so, so God calls out Abraham as a special, uh, a special relationship, and he now brings him to this point of covenant relationship, and what does he say to Abraham? Well, he, he uses this exact same language. He says, be fruitful and multiply. Now, we know that, uh, that the point here is not just to have offspring, okay? Adam did that. It didn't end with the result God desired. Noah did that. It did not end with the result God desired. Uh, what God means by being fruitful and multiplying is not just reproducing, but reproducing like people, okay? God's original design was that Adam and Eve would create godly descendants who would be like Adam and Eve. And you see that in that story with Cain and Abel. Uh, Cain uh, was a wicked one who did not follow after their parents. Abel was, and he was uh, killed. And then uh, the line of, the, of Cain goes the wrong direction until Genesis chapter 4. Then comes along Seth, and notice what it says about Seth. It says, another son in the place of Abel. He is another son in the place of Abel. Seth grew up and had a son named Enosh. And at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. All right? So you get this hope of a line of descendants that will be godly. Right? So what God is calling Abraham to is not just to be abundantly reproducing, you know, like a rabbit, okay? Uh, it's not just about filling the earth with people. It's about filling the earth with the kind of people who love God. Right? And the covenant now is about a kind of relationship where people will enter into a relationship where they love and worship and follow God. So what, Abraham is calling, what God is calling Abraham to is to be fruitful and multiply by having descendants who become a godly nation, who love God, worship Him, follow and serve Him. Um, who, as he says, who live in my presence, who live before my face and walk blameless. Okay, that's what God is after, right? Uh, so, so that's the purpose, right? And it's interesting if we fast forward to the New Testament, uh, John 15, what does Jesus call us to do? Well, to be fruitful, right? I believe it's God's mission for humanity from Genesis 1 to Revelation all people, all times, all, you know, every era, God's mission for us was to be fruitful and multiply. That was his purpose for us. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean we all need to become Catholics and have 20 children. Okay? Although, if you have lots of kids, bless you, brothers and sisters. You know, it's four, I had four, and that, that's a lot. You know? um, and God wants us to do that. He wants us to have children. But it's not, it's not just about having kids, right? It's about multiplying ourselves. It's about having spiritual descendants, right? And we all have children with hopes and prayer that our children will be godly. Right? We, we invest in our children and we pray that they will know God and follow Him. And God invites us to the New Testament era. Now He opens it up and He says, you know, you can do this. He says, I, I commission you. Jesus said, I commission you to go and make disciples. Right? In other words, I want you to produce spiritual children. You're to go and be fruitful and multiply. And clearly, uh, the fruitfulness of a life is a life that's producing spiritual offspring. That's what God's called us to. 
And uh, what he's instituted with Abraham is just a picture of what he's continuing to do in and through us. Bottom line, God has called every one of you and I to be fruitful and multiply, to be producing generations of people who love God and follow him, who are his disciples, right? And uh, we do that in many ways. Uh, we are to be those who bring the lost to Christ. Uh, we are to be sharing our faith with Christ. We are to be witnesses, which means simply telling the story of what Jesus is doing in our life, not only to save us, but daily as he is saving, as he's working, as he's answering prayer, as he's blessing. Uh, to bear witness means just to give testimony to that and to show the world who, who God is through our testimony. Uh, we do it by teaching others, by mentoring. Uh, we can be fruitful and multiply through prayer. Uh, some of you, you know, are not real good with relationships, and you, you know, no matter how much you try to share and evangelize, your just tongue gets all turned upside down, and you can't get out two words about anything, you know. But man, you can talk to God, right? and you can pray for people. And what you can't do with your tongue, you can do through prayer. See, we all have different gifts. And God has equipped and enabled us in different ways. Uh, but know this. God's purpose and design for your life, absolutely, is that you will produce spiritual offspring. At the end of John 15, Jesus says, I, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would produce fruit and that you would produce fruit that will last. So God calls us to make abundant fruit and eternal fruit, right? So that's the call of our life. Uh, every one of us at some point needs to be touching somebody's life in ways that is bearing uh, fruit, that is producing in them spiritual life, just as people have touched us, right? We're all here because we are the spiritual descendants of, of Abraham. Those who've had faith have mentored us and taught us and shared Christ with us. So we, in turn, pass that on. Um, you know, and it's, 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 it's crazy how God does this. And we're talking about this in a minute, that, um, you know, it's not something we do. In fact, when we look at the life of Abraham, one of the remarkable things is that God commanded this to Adam and Eve. It didn't work, right? It ended with the flood. Okay, he spoke this to Noah. It didn't go so well, Right? What makes God think it's going to work with Abraham? And of course, when you look through the Old Testament, we're not so sure it really works so well with Abraham, right? Uh, how do we know it works? Well, uh, there's a change in how God states it in Genesis 17. In Genesis uh, 1 and in Genesis 9, God commanded them to go and be fruitful and multiply. Now he says this, he says... I am going to make a covenant with you and I will multiply you and I will make you fruitful. Significant shift. Now, God is going to do it. Okay, no longer is it up to them. It's going to work this time because God's going to do it. Right? Uh, in my own life, this happened, happens uh, probably not nearly enough as I want. But uh, it's amazing how your life can touch somebody's life sometimes in the briefest of moments. Right? I remember one time, many years back, uh, I had the chance uh, to counsel with a high school student. The student was having lots of problems, and the poor parents of this child inflicted the child on me, meaning, you know, you're, you're, you're struggling, you're messed up, go talk to Pastor Tim, right? And uh, he'll fix you. And I just love when, when parents do that to me, because there's like no pressure. 
You know, my child's going off the deep end. They're going the wrong way. Here, you go talk to them and you fix them, right? I always pray, Lord, by your grace, do something. And uh, oftentimes, you know, God uses us. And I remember this one particular case talking to this one student. Well, I, I met this student one time. Uh, I had a relationship with her, but only one formal time of really sitting down talking heart to heart. And I don't know what to say to her. She's living in rebellion. She's doing all, causing all kinds of problems, not following God. And uh, I don't know what to say to her. And God, just as we're talking, sharing, God put it in my heart to ask her a question. I don't even remember now what the question was, but I asked her something. And it just pierced her to the heart. I mean, the Holy Spirit used that to just drive deep to her heart, and she just started crying. And uh, we didn't talk much more after that. She went home, and uh, she went to her parents, and she, with tears in her eyes, just confessed to them all of her rebellion. And in an instant, she, she turned her life around, and to this day, she's walking with God. Now, of course, I didn't do that, but God used me in that time and that place to bear fruit in that person's life. And the crazy thing, and what I want to share this morning, is that your life can touch another person in the, sometimes the most small and seemingly insignificant ways. But through that, God's going to bear fruit. Right? That's what God has called us to. And that's largely what the picture here is of Abraham. And you know, God makes this amazing promise, you're going to bear children, you're going to have descendants, you're going to be the father of kings and of nations. Right? Uh, and, uh, of course, God meant that very much in a physical and real sense, but how much more in a spiritual sense, right? Uh, the ultimate children of Abraham, Jesus says, are the children, and Paul says, are those who follow Abraham's footsteps of faith. And so to this day, we are children, we're offspring of Abraham as we carry out God's mission, his commission to raise up new generations of followers of Christ. Uh, so that's, that's God's commission to us. Um, and it is a mission impossible. And I love this. Uh, later on in the story, after, kind of after the instructions about um, circumcision, God's changed Abram's name to Abraham, kind of a, a mark, one of the marks of his confirmation that he's going to do this. Then he says to Abraham regarding Sarah, Sarah, he says in verse 15, regarding Sarah, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarah, but from now on will be Sarah, and I will bless her and give you a son from her. Okay, and and uh, uh, Abram's still not real sure about this, and he's hoping that Ishmael will be the promised one. And uh, he says, yes, I will bless her richly, and she will become the mother of nations and kings. Okay, so she's going to be the one who produces these kings and nations from her, right? Great promise. And Abram, being the man of faith, says, Amen, praise you, God. I know you're going to do this, right? No, actually, what Abram does is he falls down on the ground laughing. Okay? Because he's 100 years old. Well, he's 99, okay? 99 years old. Sarah is 90. And he inwardly, it says inwardly, because you don't want to laugh too loud before God. You know, it's kind of rude. Inwardly, he is, he's on the ground laughing. He's going, what kind of joke is this guy? What are you thinking? I am 99 years old. Sarah, have you looked at her? Okay, she's 90. Okay, she's not having babies. We tried, really. We tried. We've been trying for a long time. It doesn't work with us, you know? Right? And God says to him, but God said, no, Sarah will have a child. 
Okay, your wife will give birth to a son, and you will name him Isaac. Okay, I will do this, and I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants. And as for Ishmael, I will bless him as well. But my covenant will be with Sarah's child. Um, you know, when, when you look at this whole story, you know, God starts off speaking of himself as El Shaddai. We're not real sure exactly what that word means, but it certainly implies God's power, his ability. Okay, God is making this contract with them as one who is almighty God, who is powerful and able to do what he promises. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you read those first verses, and it says here that Abraham's 99 years old, which means he's been living now in Canaan for 24 years. Right? Now that you get the picture of this, Abraham's been following God for 24 years, it's been 13 years since the last incident that God showed up. Right? Um, there are a lot of details in this agreement that God could have shared 24 years earlier that would have saved Abraham some confusion. Like, for example, you know, they've been doing this now for 24 years, and just now God gives this little specific detail that, yes, this child will come through Sarah. And Abraham's going, you know, if you could have told me the whole Hagar thing, you know, we could have avoided the whole thing. You just told me this earlier, right? Did you ever wonder why God takes so long? You know, do you ever feel like this? I mean, here's Abraham. He's been doing this for 24 years. Now you tell me, right? Do you ever feel like that? I do. Often. You know, how many of you, honestly, you don't have to raise your hand, but when I honestly say, you know, my life would be so much easier if I knew now about God. Before I knew, know now about God, I knew 20 years ago, right? Why does God not reveal fully and completely his plan up front, right? Why is it it doesn't come to us up front, right? Well, there are, there's a lot of answers for that question that I probably don't know and I don't want to get into. But it's significant to note that this is normal, pro, normal operating procedure for God, Okay? We want God to give us all the answers today, don't we? We want God to tell us the details and to work out the plans, and we want it, we want it all now, and we want it to happen instantly, but that's not how God works. Now, I don't know why always God takes so long, and I'm sure when I get to heaven, we're going to have a long conversation about this, because there's a lot of times when I think God is just late, right, uh, in, my, in my opinion. But God has a purpose and a reason and a time. And I don't know all the reasons why God took so long with Abraham, but I think one of the reasons is this. God was waiting until it was very clear that this was just absolutely impossible, humanly speaking. right? Because God's commission for mankind was to be fruitful and, multiple, be fruitful and multiply. Uh, but the principle here is that man cannot do it on his own. It didn't work with Adam. It didn't work with Noah and his descendants. And it won't work with Abraham either, except for this one thing, that God's going to do it. Right? Uh, God made it clear and obvious that there, this was impossible. The mission to be fruitful is, impo is impossible. And the only way it's going to happen is if God himself uh, miraculously intervenes and works it out. Right? And what a, what a lesson for us. Okay, what a lesson for us. Uh, we want to be fruitful, and we know that God's called us to be fruitful, and yet how often in my life, in our lives, this is what we think. God called me to be fruitful. I can do this. Right? I can do this. 
God's saying, I'm going to go out and I'm going to make fruit. Right? Uh, instead, we ought to be doing exactly what Abraham does here. We ought to be laughing on the ground, rolling, going, God, you got to be kidding. This is impossible. Right? Uh, that would be the best thing for us to do. Okay, now, actually, maybe not the best thing, because it maybe lacks the faith necessary, right? But there's some acknowledgement or a realization that, God, if there's going to be fruit in my life, if I'm truly going to produce spiritual offspring, I can't do this. It is humanly impossible. And the only way there will be fruit in my life is if you produce it through me. If you fill me with your spirit, if you fill me with your power, and you as El Shaddai, the Almighty God, do this in my life. And I believe that's one of the reasons that God waited so long, because he wanted it to be clear and wanted it to be a lesson at the very foundation of Israel's history, that they would fulfill this mission that God called them to by his own power and ability. Right? We will be fruitful because God will do that in us. Uh, one other key truth here about being fruitful is, uh, is in God's initial call to him. He says, I'm God Almighty. And he commands or commissions Abraham at the very beginning of the covenant to walk it before his face and to be blameless. Um, what does he mean by that? To walk before my face. Uh, it, I believe it's an idiom, and it can be translated, and often is translated in the Old Testament, to live in God's presence. Okay? What, what's significant and what gets so easily overlooked in this whole deal is what God is calling Abraham to is not just to live a religious life, not to just be a pious religious person, not to just create this kind of crazy religious nation that uh, has all these strange customs. What he's really calling them to is to live in his presence. Okay? He's saying, I want you to walk before me, to live daily, continually, moment by moment, in my presence. Uh, to walk before my face. Uh, positively, it means that God is watching over us continually. His eyes are upon us. He is seeing us. He is guiding us. He is caring for us. His watch care would be over Abraham. It's over us. Uh, negatively, it has the idea of, um, uh, of walking blameless. That God is seeing what we do. And there are certain expectations of how we live. And he calls us to to live blameless. The word really means to live whole or complete. That our life is right before him. And uh, we've learned already with, uh, with Abraham, he was blameless not because he always did everything right. He was blameless because he trusted God. And if you remember back in uh, chapter 15, he says, uh, Abraham believed God and God counted it to him as righteousness. Right? So to be blameless before God, to be whole and complete before God means we... Trust God. We believe Him. And that's exactly what Abraham did. And so he uh, lived rightly as a man who walked in faith. And that's what God calls us to. And we will bear fruit only as we live in God's presence. Now the reality is all people on the world live before God's face. Okay? There's nobody that can hide from God's face. But what God's calling people to in this relationship is the conscious daily awareness that they are living in His presence. Right? Uh, be honest with yourself. How many, in any given day, how often are we consciously aware 
of life in God's presence. You know, sometimes hours, sometimes days, maybe weeks go by where we kind of lose track of God, right? Thankfully, He never loses track of us. Thankfully, God is continually, every second, aware of you. That's what it means to live before His face. He knows you. He is watching you every second of your life. But how often we lose, lose sight of God. Right? And, and what this is all about is God, is, is the Israelites, the people of God, becoming aware of His presence. Living life as if God truly is with us face to face. Living in His presence. Um, have you ever had this experience where you're sleeping nice and soundly, you're out, it's the middle of the night, two or three in the morning, and you wake up with a start, with a sense that you're being watched, right? And as you kind of come to, you realize that there's a five-year-old who's ten inches away from your face, right? <laughs> I can't tell you that, and just how that, you know, just freaks you out, right? Uh, all of a sudden, aware of this presence that's been there, right? Uh, you know, what would it be if we were to come out of our darkness and sleep to realize how close God's presence is with us, right? He is with us, right? And the sad reality is we, we go through our life clueless to the active presence of God with us, okay? Clueless. And that's the heart of the covenant, Okay, what God is calling them to is to live before His face, to live in His presence continually. Okay, to be a child of Abraham is to have that kind of relationship where we are fully conscious and aware of God's constant closeness. He's ten inches from our face. Right? If we could open our eyes and see it, He is there and He is looking at us full face to face. He's always been there. He's always been watching. He is always that close and intimate and personal with us. We are the ones who are oblivious to His presence, right? Uh, and I guarantee this, our fruitfulness uh, only comes when we begin to learn to walk in His presence. Okay, we will never be truly fruitful. We will never fulfill and see that happen in our life until we learn what it means to walk fully in His presence and to be more and more aware. And here's how it works. Part of living in God's presence is that He speaks to us. Okay, part of Abraham's relationship with God is that God spoke to him. And right here in this chapter, he's speaking to God, and he's talking to him, uh, speaking to Abraham, and he's talking to him, he's giving him instructions. Okay, to walk and live with God means that He speaks to us. Now, it had been 13 years since Abraham had really heard from God's voice. And I'm not saying that you're going to hear God's voice in your head all the time, Okay. But God leads us and directs us. How does He do that? Well, He does it through His active personal presence speaking to our hearts and lives. Thankfully, we have God's Word where in a general way, every day we can be directed and instructed by His Word. But specifically and personally, God also wants to direct and instruct and speak to us. Okay? Faith is not just believing stuff about God. Okay? Faith is ultimately hearing God speak to us and believing that His Word to us is real and true and doing something about it. And that's what happens here. Uh, God spells out Abram's part of the covenant and He says, you know, I want you to do something. Abram, your side of it is I want you to go get circumcised. I want you to go circumcise yourself. Okay? 
Now, at this point, maybe Abraham's thinking and wishing he didn't have such a close personal relationship with God. I don't know. Uh, circumcision was not invented by the Jews. It was practiced commonly around the Middle East. Um, and there were many people groups that practiced it. So he knew what it was, knew what it was about. Uh, and God gives this to him and speaks to him as a sign. Okay? And he says, it's the sign of my covenant. And if you use the picture of a wedding, when you give and exchange vows, you say what you do, you say what your partner will do, you, sh- you make this promise together. And then what do you do? You give the ring as what? A sign of the covenant, right? And so I, I, Denise put this ring on my finger and said some really cool nifty things about, I don't know, whatever. Uh, but it, um, but I, know th- I do remember and know this, that uh, every time I look at this ring, it reminds me I belong to somebody now, right? So, and, and like, uh, so this is important to wear your ring in Thailand because there's a lot of uh, ladies who think you should be their husband, right? And so I can show them to them. I say, look, see, this means I already have a wife and I only need one, okay? And uh, this is enough, right? No more rings, just one. And so it, it means it's a reminder, right? It's a reminder of that promise and that pledge to love her and cherish her, to honor her, in sickness and death, good, good and bad, until death do we part, right? It's an eternal covenant, eternity meaning the length of my life, uh, that I keep that promise. And that's what circumcision was for the Jews. It was a reminder. And in fact, it says it was, they were to bear this mark in their body. Um, and so the cool thing is it says that on that very day after God gets done talking to Abraham it says on that very day Abraham went out and did it okay see that's the relationship of an abiding life in Christ the true relationship of faith God says you do this and you do it because you believe God's word and his promise is true and that's exactly what Abraham did and that's the life God's calling us to that's the life of fruitfulness it means we hear God speak to us and it means that we, in faith, in obedience, do exactly what he says. Right? Interesting thing is we don't have time to go in, into it this morning, but the new covenant with Jesus uh, did away with some of that. Uh, but I love it. It says in this passage that they, they bore this sign as a piece of the covenant in their flesh. Think about Jesus on the cross. And now we are reminded, not by the act of circumcision, we are reminded by the, the marks that Jesus wears in his own body, don't we? Uh, the thing that we constantly are to have before us as our reminder of the covenant are his nail-scarred hands. The, the, the wounds that he bore in his own body to guarantee the new covenant in his blood. Um, Jesus has written a new covenant, but it really is not different in its focus or purpose. It's still to be that we would be fruit-bearing people. It is still appropriate as it was with Abraham by faith in God's promise. The difference is now that it's been ratified, it's been guaranteed through Jesus who guarantees forgiveness through his own cutting of himself, through his own woundedness and brokenness and crucifixion. Right? So now, the sign of the covenant for us, we, as we take communion, it's the sign of the covenant. It's a reminder that Jesus shed his blood so that we could live in God's presence. right? So we could be in his presence with him continually. Um, 
Let me just close with this thought. You may not feel right now like you are very fruitful. Uh, you may be wrestling with uh, where your life is right now. Uh, you may be fruitful, but really desire to be more fruitful. Okay? And I hope that's true of all of us. I hope all of us want to be more fruitful. Um, to leave a, an impression on eternity. Right? To leave your fingerprint on another person's life in a way that will uh, impact them for eternity. But how many of us want to do that? Right? Uh, what, a, what a mission. What a privilege to join in God's work and seeing lives touched and changed. But you may feel like you're not being fruitful. You maybe feel like, you know, it's not happening. But think about this. You know, Abraham is now 99 years old, right? And it still hasn't started for him yet, okay? It still hasn't happened for him yet, right? When does real ministry start? Well, you know, it starts with us when we come to Christ and he begins working in our life. But uh, we don't know the moment when God's going to really produce through us abundant fruit. And the sad thing is we live in a day and an age where everything's got to be instant and immediate, right? We've got Facebook now, great tool, great fun thing, but it's crazy how instant and immediate communication and connecting happens, right? Um, we want fruit today. And if we go to Thailand, we go to wherever, we're serving God, we've been there three whole years and God hasn't done anything, He's not using me. Just give up and go home. Uh, that's not how God works, right? God may be working in your life, and the reality is God may not start really using you for 25 more years. Okay. Now, I don't know. But if that were true, what would you do with that? If God says, you know, for you, your ministry is going to start when you're 80 years old. Is that going to make you depressed? Right? Okay, for some of you, it's like, well, I am 80 years old, so hallelujah. Right? I can still be fruitful. What do you do in the meantime? Well, you do what Abraham did. You walk in God's presence. See, we don't, we, God did not call us to focus and obsess with bearing fruit. He didn't tell us to labor and sweat and and get all you know, foamed up about being fruitful. He said, live in my presence. His command to Abraham was to live in my presence, and I will make you fruitful. Right? If we spent half as much energy living in God's presence as we worried about being fruitful, we would be fruitful. Right? And it would happen all in God's time. St. Patrick turned Ireland upside down. He went to Ireland when he was, when he was 45 years old. His ministry began when he was 45 years old and in 25 years he turned the country of God. Who knows at what point God will really begin to use you. Don't worry about it. You walk with God. You, you listen to his voice. And when God tells you to do something in faith, you just do it. It's just that simple. That's the, that's the life of, with God. You hear him speak? You just do what he says. Right? It's easy. It's easy, right? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much that you want to use us. Uh, you want to make us people whose lives are truly fruitful, abundant, filled with good things, filled with spiritual offspring. Lord, it's incredible that you invite us to join with you in leaving, leaving an impression 
making a difference on all eternity. And just as Abraham stepped out in faith, and to this day his faith is still bearing fruit in the world. In the same way, when we step out in faith, we become one of his children. We become one of his descendants of kings and nations. And through our life, you will produce fruit. You will produce results. And Lord, I pray that those results would begin at our home with our spouse and with our children or our grandchildren. But Lord, that it would spread out from there. Lord, that we would be the people who, who are fruitful. Lord, help us not to worry so much about that. To just accept it as your promise. Help us instead to focus on just living in your presence as Abraham did. Just hearing your voice and in simple obedience and simple faith doing all that you ask. Lord, give us strength by your power. Great God, El Shaddai, to do that we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.